ladies and gentlemen all over the world. You are tuned in to the one and the only A Difference in Thought. It's been a while, but I'm your host, Charlie Ray. And here at A Difference in Thought, A Difference in Thought engages and processes recent events, culture, philosophy, public policy, and faith through the ancient art of truth-telling. Join the conversation and gain an alternative perspective with a difference in thought. This podcast is in honor and homage of the work and mission of the great Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And our core philosophy here is basic arithmetic teaches us that there can be no difference without subtraction. Before considering where you would like to see a difference, first consider where you are willing to take a subtraction. All right, my friends, it's been a while. Uh, I'm sure you guys have missed me as I've missed you all. (laughs) Uh, I've just been out uh, doing things in real life and uh, a lot of good uh, developments coming. Uh, For those who do not know, I am launching an African-American network at my job. And we had some, um, we had an opportunity to kind of test out some of the uh, aspects of that that I want to uh, used to better the experience of African-Americans at my job, just make it a more just society. Uh, Speaking of just societies, (laughs) our topic today is going to be examining one of the hindrances to the just society or the beloved community or uh, the dream that uh, Dr. King had. Uh, And so welcome to episode number nine, NIMBY or Segregation. How Dr. King's Dream is Still America's Nightmare. Now, for some of you who are saying, what in the world is NIMBY? Uh, it's a simple acronym that stands for Not In My Backyard. And it's kind of the whole, there goes the neighborhood, or, uh, <laughs> or what they used to call it back in the day, blockbusting, or where pretty much it is a belief system uh, often ascribed to... Uh, white people and those ascribed to whiteness and what that means and you can listen to episode number three if you're not sure what i'm talking about where it's pretty much just trying to uh keep uh non-white culture keep non-white people uh keep (laughs) non-white principles out of your life out of your immediate vicinity out of your culture and some would even say out of their country And we're going to get into a little bit more about that later, about how that kind of grows. And so some of you might be saying, well, gee, I mean, you know, wanting to, you know, live in a white fenced neighborhood or whatever. I mean, it's not like segregation. It's not like the violence that, you know, people (laughs) uh, talk about that involves with segregation. But we're actually going to break down segregation in a way that's maybe a little different than how you learned it in your textbooks because it's very much alive today, but it's just looks a little bit different. And so you, we, we remember early in the podcast, we were talking about Dr. King, 67 and 68. He talks about how he was transitioning from how he viewed white supremacy to not just being clans and uh, burning crosses and lynchings and beatings, even all those things happen. And though some of that stuff even happened to him, he was saying it has to go uh, beyond that to the subtle everyday things. And so remember one of the books that I reference here all the time, I'm sure you guys already know what I'm about to say. I'll give you three seconds to guess. Okay, not three seconds, but <laughs> a Democracy in Black, How America Still Enslaves the American Soul by uh, Dr. Eddie Gloud Jr., 
Uh, well, Eddie Glau Jr., I don't know if he's a doctor. Sorry about that. <laughs> if you are, hey, congrats. <laughs> he says that uh, the habits of society are not in the written documents, but are sustained by both who create the culture and those who live in it. They're sustained by our everyday societal habits. And so the NIMBY mindset or the not-in-my-backyard mindset is a mindset and is a structure that functions a whole lot like segregation did. Okay, so uh, we'll get into that definition of segregation. We'll get more into NIMBY. Uh, and uh, because we know now what uh, this is about to be. <laughs> We're about to get into the newest segment of A Difference in Thought called Do Better, Baby. Uh, and you know, you gotta, you gotta do the like, come on, man, clap before you do it. Like, <sighs> do better, baby. So, <laughs> I, I've been gone for a little bit, a little bit longer, but I've, I've been seeing the foolishness just racking. At first, I thought it was gonna be one, and then it was two, and then it was three, and then I was just running out of fingers, Lord. The foolishness is at an all-time high. Now, I don't know who specifically to assign this to because it's just happening so much that I'm sorry, y'all. I got, I got to do it. T this week's Do Better Baby goes to white people as a whole. I'm sorry, y'all. I tried, I tried, I tried not to do it, but it's, it's just loose out in these streets. Now, not just white people for being who you are. I'm not talking about being of your descent and your heritage. I'm talking about buying people that are buying into the criminalized presence of black bodies that is part of the white racial caste system of America. Y'all have gone too far. Now, specifically, I'm talking about calling the cops on people, <laughs> right? Calling the cops on people. For doing the most regular things, it has got to stop. Now, I'm going to fuse a little lesson into this, right? Because we were talking about earlier about the different forms of segregation and how not in my backyard. How does it all kind of play in? So, before we get into these specific people who are getting these awards, right? Let's break now segregation into a new meaning, right? Not just sheriffs and police officers pulling people out of lunch counters, but three aspects of segregation, right? So segregation is, has to deal with buying into the criminalized presence of black bodies. So we talked about the racial caste system uh, that, talk, that assigns a stigma and uh, uh, almost like a danger of criminalized presence of black bodies where, where black people, by, just by being present, uh, are threatening and are justifying people who view them as threatening, right? So that's the personal, buying into the criminalized presence of black bodies. Black people are here, I'm scared, something bad is going to happen, okay? Boo to you, right? Uh, number two, segregation is partnering with, as a reaction to your to your to to the criminalized presence, it, it is calling on law enforcement to say, remove these non-white bodies from my vicinity, right? Is this right that I have a, I have a right to be in all white spaces and any time that a non-white person is in there just their very presence i feel gives me the right to call law enforcement to remove them right that's part two part three which we'll talk about in detail later is partnering then with elected officials to develop policy that keeps people out right 
Uh, and so these, when we're talking about not in my backyard, here come these black people and, and, and buying into the criminalized presence of black bodies, then you get the candidates that we're talking about right now. We're just going to go down the list. All right, now we've already talked about uh, cops, uh, people calling the cops for on those two black brothers that were just sitting in Starbucks waiting for their friends so they can strike a business deal and contribute to the economy of America. But no, just them alone was enough. And then, you know, you say, man, well, maybe, you know, well, I didn't say it's an isolated incident because, hey, that actually happened to me, but I can tell that story later, maybe. <laughs> then we have, uh, recently, a man was walking his baby in the park. So this man had stayed at home because his baby was sick, right? His baby was sick. Uh, the, the, the mom, um, the mom wasn't there. So he says, Hey man, no, no biggie smalls. I'm just going to go walk, take my kid out for a walk. Cause we've been, we've been locked up in the house all day. I'm so he would appreciate getting a nice breath of fresh air. Guy's name was, uh, Donald Sherman, by the way. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, a white lady decides to call the police on him and saying, and saying that uh, there was a suspicious man walking on the back bike path with a baby, uh, right? So, so a suspicious man walking on the bike path with a baby. Like, why do you assume? Why wouldn't you just assume? Oh, this this is a, a dad walking his his child, right? No, it's a suspicious man. I got to call the police because. I bought into the philosophy of the criminalized presence of black bodies and I haven't renewed my mind or as we talked about in the last do better baby policing your imagination instead of policing black bodies. Right? So that person gets the cops called on, on, on them and they have, thankfully, you know, he, he just kind of has a pleasant conversation with the, with the officer and says, uh, uh, I just wanted you to know that somebody called the police on you and you know, we're just going to be going on our way. Right? And then you have the Yale student, black Yale student. It's finals week, everybody. If you always met a college student, you know when you're studying your hard and you pull in the all-nighter, sleep can get you at any time. Sleep says your body can get it at any time, right? So this Yale student is working to better herself, become a better contributing member to the uh, American society, and she falls asleep in her dorms uh, uh, like main couch lounge area, right? There are so many people that we would... See, I remember in college, people were sleeping there all the time. I never called the police on somebody, right? So somebody on the floor who I guess is assuming, oh, no, some black woman has broken into my dorm room. I have to call the campus police on this person. Calls the campus police on on a student at Yale who's just sleeping, right? And then we go on another story where, where a, a black realtor is visiting property, is visiting a property that he owns, and, you know, he's looking, you know, tweaking things and, you know, seeing what he wants to repair, once he wants to nacho. Some person calls the police on them. It's, oh, man, there's a person, black guy poking around a house. I'm calling the police, right? Thankfully, uh, the police officers were just kind of shutting her down and say, hey, he has every right to be here. You need to chill, right, and 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 shut this down. Uh, uh, and then we have uh, two, we see the all-star do better babies. So, runners up, runner up all star is, uh, I believe the guy's name is Aaron Schlossberg. He's sitting in, he's sitting in uh, New York, getting his, standing in line for lunch, and some uh, um, Latino 
uh, uh, people are having a converse are having a conversation uh, in Spanish, and he decides to go off and says, "Oh, you guys, this is America. Y'all need to speak English, and y'all need to X Y Z. And I bet y'all are undocumented, and I pay for y'all. Y'all y'all living off of my money. Matter of fact, I'm gonna call ICE, and I'm gonna you know." I'm going to call ICE and get you all kicked out of the country. And, you know, he's just on, he's just, he's just on a, on a high of ignorance. Uh, and uh, it turns out someone turned the video. So Sean King finds him, outs him. He uh, gets kicked out of his uh, rental space. Uh, and then my, one of my favorite clips is that uh, I think, uh, I think it's the New York Post was looking for an interview and uh, they find him, and this guy just takes off running off, <laughs> running down the street. So, uh, and finally, the uh, all star, who I shall call, uh, who uh, the internet has deemed Barbecue Betty, uh, <laughs> here this uh, this uh, uh, black man is is having a is just barbecuing out on a, in a public space as as he's done every Sunday, as he says. And here comes Barbecue Betty, who says, oh, man, you're not allowed to use that type of coal here, and I'm going to call the police, and you need to scat. And, you need to, and the guy says, you can call the police if you want to. Uh, and the person recording is saying, why are you calling this person? And then, you know, uh, she, like, takes something from him, and she's saying, oh, now you've stolen from me. It was like a business card or whatever. He said, oh, now you've stolen from me, and I'm going to call the police on you. And then the police come. Uh, and obviously, it's okay for the guy to be there. And then she turns on the waterworks, and she's crying. Oh, I just been victimized, and I've been. Ma'am, do better, baby. All y'all, do better, baby. It seems that people <laughs> have I've still buy into this criminalized presence of black bodies. As we said last week, you guys got to police your imagination. And also for uh, uh, with this whole. Not in my backyard comes this possessive owning of America that is not extended to non-white people. Again, we talked about who gets the hyphen in America, who gets to just be American versus who has to be African-American and who has to be uh, uh, Native American or Latino American. Right. Uh, the white people just say America and they say this is our America. And so I just want to I just want to give a, a revelation, a hard truth. A word to these people who have made it into the Do Better Baby for this week is uh, white people as a whole, you are not leasing American space to non-white people. We are just as American as you are. And historically, we've probably done some hard work to make America as great as it is. In a heavy quotes, great. Because, as we said last week, the most indispensable element of justice, of, of greatness, is justice, as Dr. King said. So, again, I want to say it again. White people as a whole, you are not leasing American space to non-white people. We are American, too, and just as American as you are. It reminds me of an interview uh, with uh, Stokely Carmichael, uh, where... He was, you know, saying black power, which was pretty much this philosophy that's saying that uh, black ownership was at some point. America has to come to a point where black people are able to share in this ownership as well. And that's what black power was about. Black power was about political power because they would uh, assemble uh, blacks, people in Mississippi and 
they would get enough votes to go, and then suddenly the laws would change, and and then the laws would change, the laws would change, the zoning would change, all these things would change, which we'll talk about later, uh, until it got the result of white ownership of power. And so the interviewer is asking Stokely Carmichael, what are your responses to white people who say black people who chant black power and civilized and they need to civilize themselves? And Stokely Carmichael says, I would say to white America, civilize yourself. Because historically, when you look at the people who have uh, used abused power and disenfranchised people and killed people and done all these other things, it has been historically uh, people that ascribe to the philosophy of whiteness. Uh, and so he says, uh, do not automatically assume that I'm the, I, that I'm the villain, right? Don't, don't assign a criminalized presence to me. Uh, civilize yourself, examine yourself and seeing first, if you are, uh, the major contributor in this tension that we are simply trying to, uh, resist and correct. And so this is, so to uh, Barbecue Betty um, and <laughs> to uh, Schlossberg and all these other people that, that buy into these tenets of segregation, uh, I would have to say, do better, baby. Uh, <laughs> do better. This, this uh, uh, not in my backyard, right, uh, uh, is, is blatant racism. And it is uh, segregation. Uh, under a different title. Uh, when we're talking about uh, buying into the criminalized presence of black bodies, uh, calling on law enforcement to remove non-white bodies from your vicinity and partnering with elected officials and supporting elected officials who develop policy to keep people of color out, uh, that is still segregation, but it's, it's, it's poised into a way of saying that uh, I own America. America is for me and I have to keep people out, right? Uh, now, uh, and we talked about this last week when we were talking about the Kerner Commission. The Kerner Commissions pretty much came out to why these riots were happening and all these other things that they were uh, looking into. And it says that white society is deeply implicated in the ghetto. White institutions created it. White society condones it. White society maintains it. Now, people say, well, you know, not in my backyard. That's, that's not always blatantly racist. But remember what we talked about with uh, Eddie Gloud that it's about how is this sustained in our societal habits and our societal posture towards the other, right? And so... Uh, uh, society, white society is deeply implicated in the ghetto, even if you didn't create it, because white society still condones it, white society still maintains it. Uh, and as we get into the, because this episode is called Why Dr. King's Dream is Still America's Nightmare, is that is though though we talked in episode one how so many people love that I have a dream speech and I dream that one day my daughters will hold hands with white, uh, black kids and white kids will hold hands together and, I, and how I'm going to show uh, later on in the podcast how historically when changes in policy and zoning and different things have been made to actually get to that goal, how much white America has resisted that, even though they claim 
that Dr. King's dream is also their dream, okay? Uh, and so Dr. King in his book, Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos or Community, he states, a good many observers have remarked that if equality could come at once, the Negro would not be ready for it. I submit that this white American is even, that the white American is even more unprepared. I'll say that again. A good many observers have remarked that if equality could come at once, the Negro would not be ready for it. I submit that the white American is even more unprepared. The Negro on a mass scale is working vigorously to overcome his deficiencies and his maladjustments. Whether there are job training pro wherever there are job training programs, Negroes are crowding them. Those who are employed are revealing an eagerness for advancement never before so widespread and persistent. In the average Negro home, a new appreciation appreciation of culture is manifest. Uh, in the ne schools, more Negro students are demanding courses that lead to college and beyond, refusing to settle for the crude vocational training that limited so many of them in the past. So again, breaking the Negroes working to to break out of the mold of a society that says you stay in this place, you stay over here. And we talk about that in Black Careers Matter and the Cement Ceiling. Uh, here, Dr. King continues and says, whites, it must frankly be said, are not putting in a similar mass effort to re-educate themselves out of their racial ignorance. Again, that's the first tenets of, of segregation that we're talking about, about uh, the criminalized black presence. Uh, he continues, it is an aspect of their sense of superiority that the white people of America believe they have so little to learn, right? And that's again, going again into this ownership of, of NIMBY, of the NIMBY thought pattern that doesn't just go with their white picket fence, but it extends far beyond their property and believing they own more of America than they actually do. He continues, the reality of substantial investment to assist Negroes into the 20th century Adjusting to Negro neighbors and genuine school integration is still a nightmare for all too many white Americans. I'll read it again. The reality of substantial investment to assist Negroes into the 20th century, adjusting to Negro neighbors and genuine school integration is still a nightmare for all too many white Americans. And so what Dr. King is saying is, sure, you can clap and say that the dream I shared is your dream, but when it actually comes to granting that access outside of where society has relegated and limited uh, black people to stay, when it comes to actual, actual, now black people are your neighbors. Now black people are in your schools with your children, right? Uh, that now there is this uh, resistance um, that contradicts the words because as we've said, the, the words of society don't really develop how a society is. It is the habits that they continue. Uh, and so uh, just laying a framework now, we talked about uh, in episode number, um, episode number seven or six, it talks about, uh, racist versus uh, non-racist versus anti-racist. And so uh, beyond that step of non-racist versus anti-racist, right? So non-racist is I, you know, convincing yourself that you do not participate in racism. Anti-racist is saying I actively do the things that require, that are required for racism to be dismantled. And so then we, we, 
are introducing a new concept, and we'll talk about this in a future episode, hopefully with some guests that I'm working on lining up on the show, is moving from anti-racism to community. So as in what does what what happens? What is the community that happens after what is the community that uh, sustains the dismantling of racism and what and what community creates the culture after racism? Um, Whitney Young writes a book, uh, wrote a book in 1968 that's uh, called Beyond Racism. Uh, his prior book was called To Be Equal. And so you can kind of think of this as anti-racism, the book, and then um, pro-community, the book. And Dr. King talks about the beloved community because it's not just enough to, uh, it's not just enough to say, I don't want racism, but do you actually want the people who are affected by racism close to you? <laughs> do you actually want to do life with black people? Uh, do you actually want to do life with non-white people, right? Do you actually want to do uh, life with uh, people who have repented of participating in the racial caste system of whiteness, right? Um, uh, those are two different goals, right? Because here's the thing about this NIMBY mindset. Uh, it's not always blatantly racist. I, re I remember watching... Uh, <laughs> I remember watching... You know, a lot of times people think that racism just happens in the South or all these other different things. But there was there was a middle school that wanted to uh, bring in kids, disadvantaged kids, uh, who 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 a lot of them were 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 non-white into this white middle school. And the principal was super excited and saying, hey, this is really on his heart to do. But then the parents, like Dr. King was saying, w once it became these black people or these disadvantaged children are now my neighbors are now in schools with my children, then all hell broke loose. And he had to come back. And I'm so glad that he kind of said, Hey, this is unacceptable. Like we are, we have so much advantage. And the fact that I'm trying to share and uh, 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 distribute advantage to those who, who, um, who have been disadvantaged, it's shameful that you would say these things, right? Because here are some signs, right? Uh, so if some of you were saying, man, how, how am I potentially a NIMBY, right? <laughs> it, it's not always going to be these blatantly racist things or, or being barbecue Betty or, 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 or the lawyer who's, who's calling these people. So, um, here's some signs that you may be a NIMBY, right? I don't know if it's like stage two or stage one NIMBY, because we talk about, uh, the stages of racism that we've talked about in prior pod, in, in prior, uh, podcast. Um, so Let's say one sign is that you only or you primarily engage from a distance, right? You send funds, but you don't volunteer, right? You, you work to improve a community, but you do not want to be a part of a community and you have no interest in those commun communities uh, converging into one community, right? So this is the thing with these kids, with these parents, right? All those poor disadvantaged kids, I'll send them something over there. But then when the principal says, oh, no, no, <laughs> they we're going to become one community, then all hell breaks out. Oh, I don't want them in my backyard. Right? I don't want that. I don't want change happening <laughs> in my vicinity, right? Uh, and this goes into the whole thing um, um, where uh, Jesus calls us to be neighbors, right? Uh, so number two is you're a missionary, but you're not a neighbor. See, <laughs> being a neighbor... Uh, 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 
means that you're in less control of the power dynamic, right? See, see, um, you're a missionary, but not a neighbor. You remain in control of the power dynamic when engaging in activity with non-white spaces, which pretty much says I can come and go as I please and plan. Because if you're a missionary, I can pop up in the city and I can have a little, uh, have a little two-hour program and pat myself on the back and take some Facebook pictures and go way over town, but I'm not actually doing life with them. I'm not actually learning what their experience is. I'm not actually, um, uh, I, I guess, uh, being a neighbor to them, right? Or even, or even, uh, even just being uh, like a like ethnog ethnography, right? Which is pretty much dwelling in a in a community and just learning and listening and becoming a part of that and saying, oh, okay, so this is what life means over here. This is this is. This is the everyday struggle. This is the dream. This is the goal of what you want to build. Let me let me become a neighbor where your dream is my dream and, and your problem is my problem and, and, and this kind of the family and the beloved community. But if you're just a missionary and you pop up and hey, okay, that's it. Uh, don't call me. You know, if you're you know, don't pop up at my house late at night saying you need some help. You know, <laughs> I'm a missionary. I'm not a neighbor, right? I don't want to have this. I don't want you having access to my private life, to my backyard, to my community, to my social circle, right? Uh, here's another one where you might be a NIMBY. You seek to teach in a community uh, before you gain trust or membership in it, or you teach in a community that you do not want to have membership in, right? And so we talked about this in uh, the Black Panther Review, where we're talking about the character of M'Baku, right, who only wants to come with critique or commands, but until then you live in the mountains. But when it's time to be king, then it's, you know, we shall not have it. You scoff our tradition, you know, coming with the critique and coming with commands, but you're not coming with community and you're not coming um, to engage in the culture. So you don't come with, hey, let me learn how to appreciate your culture. Let me learn. Let me become a part of your community. You come with a critique and you come with the commands, and then you dip, and you're out, right? Because again, it's about vicinity. I have every right to come up in your <laughs> culture, community, your yard, but you have absolutely no right to come up in mine, which again is still the second tenet of segregation that we were talking about that uh, talks about um, uh, believing you have the right of having non-white bodies removed from your uh, vicinity or, or, or you work to try and actually keep them out. Right. Uh, and so again, like, and you want to, you want to engage in change from a distance without community. Right. So again, signs might be a NIMBY or, or you, you only, uh, or primarily engage from a distance. You're a missionary, but not a neighbor. You seek to teach in a community before you gain trust or membership. Uh, you know, coming with critiques and commands, but not appreciation, appreciating the culture or loving the community. And finally, you want to engage in change from a distance without community. So, you, so hey, you know, if you might want to examine if that's how you are doing ministry, if that's how you're doing outreach, if that's just how you're living your life, if, if, if uh, you even know the, the plight of people. I was listening... <laughs> I was uh, doing some research for, for, for this podcast and I listened to, uh, came across a podcast and I'd have to say this, this is probably one of the most thoroughly ignorant podcasts <laughs> I have heard in my life because these people were sitting back, uh, 
not engaged in culture. I doubt very seriously they were engaged in a relationship with black people, but they were looking back on the Baltimore riots. And, you know, it, it certainly was not something as um, engaged or scholarly as, scholarly as the Kerner Commission or as uh, authentic as, say, Dr. King, who lived in um, uh, uh, in, the, in the slums and worst of America as he was writing his last book and also uh, in uh, went to uh, Jamaica as well, I believe. Uh, it, it was not at all engaged. They just were sitting back on their high horse and slinging these critiques and these com- and these commands, and and they had no interest in community. And you could tell by the way that they were speaking because they didn't appreciate or hold people in high regard. Now, the problem with NIMBY, right, is that NIMBY is fear based. Now, if you want to talk about biblically, you have to talk about that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Now, when you see all this drastic, when we talk about, you know, we jokingly talk about do better, baby. But when you think about people that are calling people, the police on people for walking their baby, for sleeping in a dorm, for speaking in their native language, for uh, barbecuing on a Sunday, right? Things that if the color had changed, of the person had changed, it would, it would not be a problem. Does that sound like a sound mind to you? Does that sound like self-control? Does that does that sound like a uh, correct use of 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 power? Right? That's fear, and that does not come from God. Yet, when you look into the history, <laughs> when you look into the history of, say. Uh, uh, a St. Louis, Missouri, or 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 Ferguson, Missouri, right? Uh, or historically, churches in Missouri, where when the population changed, the churches moved out of the urban places, out to the suburbs to escape the black people that were coming to the neighborhood. Yet they are a church <laughs> that, by no means, is not only is is that not endorsed by the gospel. It is anti-gospel because when we go back again we're talking about jesus and he's talking about who is my neighbor uh uh one of the people were listening to a story and, and uh he says oh well who's my neighbor but really he was asking who can i exclude as my neighbor right and jesus then tells the story of the good samaritan because the samaritans were the most despised people in that society when Jesus says, I must go through Samaria, he does it to talk to a woman who was told, because you're Samaritan, you cannot worship God. Because you're Samaritan, you can't, I don't want you in my backyard. Not in my backyard. Oh, no. Not those Samaritans. Not those, you know, half-breeds. Not those X, Y, Z, right? It was a racial slur. It was a, ra- <laughs> it was, it was a racial animus that they had towards Samaritan. And Jesus' response to that is to repurpose uh the stigma around them and tell stories that displayed them in in dignity and then also to reach out in relationship with them um and uh to to tear down the stigmas that they held about themselves right but nimby is buying into the stigma and supporting a system that enforces the stigma for generations to come so the uh, so it is fear based, and if anything, if you know anything about fear, is that fear unchecked grows. 
So then we have an expansion of NIMBY. So not only then, uh, uh, if that fear goes and challenge, then not in my backyard then becomes not in my friend group, right? And not in my friend group becomes not in my family, right? Like literally, there was a there was a judge in Texas who's actually uh, not a judge yet. He's actually a person who's running for a judge in Texas, and he wrote into his trust for his kids to get the money that they have to marry a white person of the opposite sex, and then Lord have mercy, and then he throws in Christian, <laughs> right? So he's saying, hey, if you kids bring, if you kids. <laughs> If you kids bring a non-white person home, then I'm disowning you financially and you can't get this money, right? <laughs> and so, okay, so NIMBY then, not only my, in, not only in my backyard, not in my kids' backyard either. And so now that's, that's trying to take his fear unchecked is now crossing into a whole different generation. And so then not in my friend group becomes not my social circle. Not my social circle becomes, well, not my neighborhood. And then not my neighborhood becomes not in my school. Right. Uh, when we talk about uh, not in um, not in not in my neighborhood. Um, there was uh, there were uh, when you look at Ferguson, Missouri, from 1990 to 2010, the black population increased from twenty five point one percent to sixty seven point four percent. Right. So from from 1990 to 2010, the black population increased from from 25.1 percent to 67.4 percent, and in that same period, the white population dropped from 16,564 families to 6,206. That means more than 10,000 families, as they saw the black population increase, they then got out of there, right? Uh, and, and lenders and real estate agents are still, still, uh, uh, there was a, a study, uh, done by Daniel, uh, Litcher at, at Cornell. And he found that lenders and real estate agents were still steering families to areas with population of similar races. And that white families were still fleeing areas with growing minority populations, right? This is a recent study, right? Um, uh, and then he also found that some exclusionary zoning laws had actually made it difficult to build mixed income housing or apartments in, 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 in some areas. Um, uh, and by, and by blocking mixed income, uh, houses, which also typically means, uh, uh, non-white people being able to afford again in the neighborhoods, they, they, that is what attracted affluent white taxpayers, right? Um, and so when we're talking about when we're talking about how this grows, right? Now this now this fear has gone from my personal decision to my children's decision to my friends' decisions to my social circles decisions to my neighborhoods decisions and then from my neighborhoods decisions and now it means my school decisions. And when you look at the case that I reference a lot and I think um, I might have to do an episode on this for you guys to get the full ramifications how this affects our school system um and this was this took place in uh, uh, uh michigan uh millican versus bradley where these same zoning laws then were shaping black people into these pockets of concentration um by the state of michigan 
Uh, and then the state of Michigan was uh, defunding these schools as redlining and all these real estate people were, were, were uh, concentrating black people into one area. And then they enacted these uh, methods of defunding or, or, or taking resources out of those things, especially in the school systems. And so that black, all the black kids were going to the same types of schools and uh, having the same bad result. And then they were zoning them so that they couldn't leave that district. And if they said, well, let me move and try and buy a house, then the real estate agents would say, well, we're not selling these houses to black people because we want to keep it, we want to keep it white, right? And so then in a class action lawsuit, uh, 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 the, they sue a bunch of, a group of parents from, from Detroit sue Michigan and say, you guys have, have created this and you need to give us an opportunity to actually get bust out of this because we don't want to deal with this mess anymore. We see what you've done and we see that opportunity is happening literally just a couple miles up the road. So we want, you know, buses to track us to, to where the opportunity, to where you have put the pockets of opportunity away from us. And it all basically comes down to uh, these new districts saying, oh, no, well, we shouldn't have to have black people, these black people come here. We don't have anything to do with what the government did. We shouldn't have to suffer because of what the government has done. And so they had already gotten down to ordering them or bus and they were running it. And then the Supreme Court agreed with these counties who didn't want the black people to have to come in. And Thurgood Marshall said, this is going to be this is going to overturn a lot of the good that it done for Brown versus Board of Education because what you're going to see is you're going to see governments and municipalities and counties, cop local governments, copy this in ways to um, undo the federal decisions that have been made. And you're going to see now pop black people and non-white people concentrated into these same places, having the funds go elsewhere and having them being cut off from access to be able to afford to move into White neighborhoods where all the where all the opportunity is pretty much being, uh, being pocketed, right? And so then you see, and we'll we'll get more into how this is happening still, right? Um, and for people, when I hear people say, "Well, what did Obama do for black people?" We're about to get into exactly one of the rules that actually did a lot of good for black people. Uh, uh, and so then, not my school, then uh, you know, becomes not my. Then becomes not at my job because, as we're talking about with Black Careers Matter and, and how uh, education and if uh, if uh, there's a disparate impact in education, then it also affects who's at your job and then at your jobs who attributes to my economy, right? Uh, and then in your in in your economy, then becomes my state, and then my state becomes my country, and then you see, and then you see all sorts of terrible things of, of how the stigma of not in my backyard then contributes into um, policy and how you see in a press conference that, uh, last week where um, the president is characterizing uh, illegal immigrants all as MS-13 gang members and then saying these people aren't, these aren't people, these are animals. The president of the United States saying this and then actually seeing it into into uh, White House policy and briefings and actually calling MS-13 people Animals and applying that entire stigma to to uh, uh, Mexican immigrants, right? Uh, because immigration is all about who we want to invite into our community. 
when he makes his statement about s-hole countries what people forget to say is that he's saying he later said we need more people like people and then he names european countries right and so then not in my backyard goes from a personal micro uh level out into the macro and out into the um country and then out into the world stage and then saying well we don't want muslims uh, uh from these countries into into our into our things because of terrorism and then here comes the blinding side of nimby as well is because it blinds you to the enemies that are already within your house now we just had a shooting uh uh in 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 we just had a shooting over the weekend right uh, another another uh white person who uh i believe they said had connections to uh nazi uh uh sympathies towards uh nazi a uh, nazi worldview and 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 belief system uh and all and you, you can get your dylan roofs and all of these uh, a lot of these other shooters all are <laughs> the people that um who are not the people that you have been putting all your energy to keep out of your community right you you want to talk he will the president will openly talk about uh comparing ms-13 to animals but will not say uh anything besides these are troubled individuals or sad you know sad case for when it is uh when it is white people right uh so if we demonize the non-white other domestically and privately, we will do that internationally and publicly. Um, and so this is this is why you have to get this under control. And we cannot just let this fear and this philosophy continue, uh, continue into the future. Um, uh, our picket fence mentality blinds us to the evil that is growing in our own house. And it also blinds us to the greatness that lies beyond the boundaries of our house. Uh, it, it can, this thinking can, and so I, I like to see it as NIMBY or JIMBY, right? Is it not in my backyard or is it Jesus in my backyard? And, and, and beginning to see, uh, adopting the philosophy of Jesus towards the other, right? Um, uh, Jesus touched uh, the victims of NIMBY and his culture, right? We talked about Samaritans, but we also talk about the the lepers, right? Because lepers had to say, unclean, unclean, don't touch me, don't come near me. And Jesus, he reached out to the lepers and healed them. And so one thing that's important of the healing ministry of Jesus is also uh, the healing ministry of restoring dignity to people, right? Uh, he does this with a woman uh, caught in adultery, where he says, I do not condemn you, go and sin no more. He does this with the lepers because he did not have to touch lepers to, to heal them. You see, in many times that Jesus does it by a word, or he may spit in mud and then, you know, <laughs> doesn't need direct contact, right? But he chose to use hit, to use the touch because it restored dignity uh, and honor to the lepers who had been whose communities had deprived them of contact and community. And so if we are a follower of Jesus, those who your society uh, condemns 
and presses, presses to the outskirts, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are to follow in the steps of Jesus and to actively seek out community with those who um, community says we want out of our community, right? Um, I And it's just crazy how like <laughs> white domestic terrorism resides within the white picket fence of America, right? When you talk about not in my backyard, but guess what is in your backyard? White domestic terrorism. I remember when uh, there was a Confederate rally uh, coming to my town and I go to the town hall and black people are talking about, man, what, what we want, what happened in Charlottesville to happen here with the, you know, people who were beating up a young man named DeAndre Harris and just, just returning to the mob violence scene in uh, post, uh, you know, during reconstruction. Um, and white people were there saying they were terrorized of black lives matter, hurting their cars right? Saying, oh, well, where should I park my car? I don't want Black Lives Matter to start a riot and all these other different things, right? Instead of the police officer who just explained that there are people who will be open carrying like lots of guns and, you know, uh, a lot of the, you know, this is just weeks removed from Charlottesville, but still not being able to see the true danger and those who really need to civilize themselves, as Stokely Carmichael would say, right? Because this NIMBY view blinds us to what Jesus is doing and those who we want out. And it blinds us to what the devil is doing and those who we don't mind having in. Right. And so we're going to transition now and we're going to kind of talk about how this NIMBY um, mindset we're going to talk about the third tenet of segregation that we talked about. So I'm going to, for your review, I'm going to talk about I'm going to talk about the three um, segments again. So, so tenets again. So tenet number one of segregation buys into the criminalized presence of black bodies um, as proposed in the racial caste system of America. Number two, it works with law enforcement to say, remove these non-white bodies from my vicinity. You see this a lot when the protests happen, when when the uh, sit-ins happened during Dr. King's time in the civil rights era, you know, they would have the police officers ripping people uh, you know, out of their seats and beating them and hosing them and doing all these other types of things. And then lastly, the third tenet, um, it is partnering and supporting elected, partnering with and supporting elected officials to develop policy that keeps non-white people out. Uh, and so now we're going to talk about this and we're going to talk about a um, house rule, uh, a rule under the Obama administration that was tackling uh, the housing and urban development um, findings that people were not actually, that uh, uh, municipalities and counties and, and states were not actually doing what was required in the Fair Housing Act. Now, before I get to that, I want to, I, I greatly recommend that you guys read a book called Stuck in Place uh, by Patrick Sharkey. And it talks about and he measures um, generational poverty, uh, it, like white uh, generational poverty and non-white generational poverty. Um, and um, I'm sorry, poverty, white poverty and non and non-white poverty, and he finds the differences is that non-white poverty is often generational due to, uh, again, the kind of um, 
manipulation and systemic things that are that were done in Milliken versus Bradley. And so he one of the one of the solutions he engages he proposes is that there has to be um, mixed income neighborhoods and housing and it's pretty much community right it's 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 the same thing that Dr. King said is actually America's nightmare right because uh, what they were finding um, and also and also what this Daniel uh, Litcher guy found who did this uh, report at Cornell is that he found that even though black people were making it into suburbs that then white people would find deeper suburbs <laughs> right to 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 uh then to the to then escape to right and that realtors were still steering families into these areas with population of similar races and so it 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 um even within the more uh middle class um there's still then white people then say, well, dang, well, now I need to get into a gated community or, you know, it still was this flight uh, in the buying into the criminalized presence there. But then he also talked about what I like to call white flight without wings, where now it's 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 moving back into uh, black, traditionally black neighborhoods and then pricing people out. Right. You know, or what people call gentrification or the uh, other side of, of gentrification where it's now I'm here. I, I don't care what the culture was. This is what I want. This is what I want to make it to be. I'm going to flip all these houses. I don't care if it, what it means to your <laughs> taxes and what you can afford and almost like a colonialization, right. Uh, or a colonization. Uh, <laughs> we butchered that word, <laughs> but uh, he talks about these things. And so, so it also within this literature study. Uh, and so what I raised on broader Patrick Shark is that like, Keep in mind that mixed income housing, for those that are serious about the research, they find that that is the greatest alleviation of poverty. Uh, one of the greatest alleviations of poverty, because it also where you live is also connected to where you go to school. And so one of the things that Patrick Sharkey found was that people were being educated with the in the same school systems that were passing people like pretty much illiterate. Uh, um a Nash a great documentary to watch that Dan Rather did. It's called A National Disgrace. Uh, and it studies schools in, again, Detroit, uh, which is again in Michigan, and then still connected to Milliken versus Bradley, right? How that still persists to this day. Um, and how there's a part in this where they have generations of people, where they have a whole street of people who all went to the same school, and how so many of them are illiterate. So, income housing is a way, because our school system is still connected to zip code and affects realtors who can pay. Who can charge twice as much for a house just because of the school that you'll go to? So it's putting a price tag on opportunity. The way to break out of that is to make more affordable housing into places. So really, pretty much, it's trying to recreate the solution uh, that the parents wanted to Milliken versus Bradley that Thurgood Marshall uh, was in support of. So, uh, so when you have exclusionary zoning laws that make it difficult to build mixed income housing. Or, or or apartments in some places uh, uh, that then is limiting access for uh, non-white people to proceed and specifically uh, black people right and so Obama uh, in his administration uh, which I uh, finally finally uh, took place and I think it, it it took place later, so it, it started trying to 
uh, develop it in, I think, 2010, and then 2015 it became an official rule. But the Obama rule sought to fix uh, uh, building low-income uh, places uh, because prior to this, all the states were doing were they were taking this affordable housing grants, these HUD grants, and they were placing them all in black concentrated areas, all in the same place. So they all go to the same schools, they all vote in the same district, and pretty much segregating under New York because white people were saying, not in my backyard. And, you know, if you move into this neighborhood, realtor, it, realtor if this, if this, whatever this, and I'm not going to buy in this neighborhood. So then realtors were directing them to, to you know, saying we're, then making then people make exclusionary zoning laws to say no I don't want I don't want a low income place in my in my zone or I'm gonna or I'm gonna leave right so Obama's rule sought to fix that by saying that cities had to report um, had to report um, uh, as far as like inter, uh, integration like where where segregation under another name was going so whether that means that there the bus line stopped right at the corner of the black neighborhood. And so there was no public transportation into white neighborhoods. Uh, or if all of our low-income housing is concentrated into black neighborhoods or, or you know, some of the different things that we've been talking about. Cities had to report that. And if they were found that they reported these things, uh, but then they were not able, but they weren't act actively doing things to fix or remedy these things, that they would not get HUD grants from the federal government. Um, this is actually, uh, kind of similar to, um, I believe, uh, Mitt Romney's father, was his name George Romney? I can't remember, but, uh, he would do this for states who were not trying to integrate their schools. And he said, well, if you don't integrate your schools, uh, you're not going to get this federal funding. Right. <laughs> and so, uh, um, uh, and actually, uh, this was a bipartisan effort as well. Uh, Jack Kemp was also behind, changing uh changing these um making holding uh local uh municipalities and governments uh accountable for this uh to give you an to um to give you an example of this um also this was uh this was also supported by um the supreme court as well uh well i'll give you the premise of the rule first so the premise of the rule is that all of uh the mapped data will make hidden barriers visible. So pretty much all these pockets and all these sinister things that Thurgood Marshall said people would repeat after Milliken versus Bradley, right? Uh, it makes them visible. It makes the states see where this sinister stuff is at play, bring it to light, and then holding them accountable and saying, if you want this money, you have to fix this because I'm not going to pay you to discriminate, right? And so the premise of the rule is that all this map data will make hidden barriers uh, visible and that once communities see them, they will be much more harder to ignore. Uh, and so in a case called inclusive communities, a uh, decision by the Supreme court, the Supreme court, uh, weighed in five, four and ruled that housing policies that have a disparate impact on minority populations are illegal, whether or not discrimination is present. And so if you're wondering what is disparate impact and, uh, versus disparate treatment, I would encourage you to listen to Black Careers Matter because we talk very much in defining disparate impact, uh, which uh, which pretty much is uh, a facially neutral policy that has discriminatory impact against the protected class. So uh, the Supreme Court ruled that housing policies that have a disparate impact on minority populations are illegal, 
whether or not discrimination is present, right? Uh, and so uh, the rule said that pretty much they'll have to look at whether uh, those programs have been operating with the effect of per perpetuating segregation, containing people in neighborhoods uh, and communities marked by conditions of slums, uh, blight, and excluding people from well-resourced neighborhoods and communities. This also included transportation entities. So again, when you talk about where the bus route stops, if someone's saying, I don't want those people in the hood with these concentrated poverty things being have, having access to my neighborhood, right? Um, so that those was those were the types of things that um, that uh, that were put into this rule. Uh, and so now I'm going to again state <clears throat> I will read Dr. King's quote again because remember the early in the podcast I talked about we're going to examine how what happens for people that claim that they like King's dream of everybody coming together and playing and being it, it that when it actually comes to a fruition or to a point where it might become a reality that you discover that America, that white America actually doesn't want that. Right. Uh, so I'll read it again. Dr. King's words, whites, it must frankly be said, are not putting in a similar mass effect to reeducate themselves out of their racial ignorance. It is an aspect of their sense of superiority that the white people of America believe they have so little to learn. The reality of substantial investment to assist Negroes into the 20th century, adjusting to Negro neighbors and genuine school integration is still a nightmare for all too many white Americans. So before I transition into this, this rule was going to create a reality of substantial investment to assess, assist Negroes into the 20th century adjusting or 21st century and it was adjusting to negro neighbors and genuine school integration because mixed income housing would actually do these things and here you will see that it is still a nightmare for all too many white americans now i talked about nimby and the fear behind it going from how it grows from my my fam, my family to my kids' family to my friends' group to my social circle to my uh, neighborhood to my school to my economy to my state to to my country, and now Trump running on building a white picket fence to keep Mexicans out while not even addressing, <laughs> without being propelled by Congress to examine border security for Canada, right? So we have. I don't I don't need a fence for the white people. For the non-white people, I need a fence. You can see how this NIMBY philosophy snuck up through uh, support of Trump. And so some of you might be wondering what I was wondering when I was reading about this Obama rule. Uh, and by the way, it was working quite well, actually. Uh, a lot of people, they also discovered that a lot of states uh, actually weren't doing, weren't doing anything. So before I transition to the Trump administration, I'm sure it's not a spoiler alert what happens, right? But in 2009, a district court found that Westchester County in New York couldn't produce evidence that it ever had evaluated the extent of racial segregation um, its policies had or committed to a plan to address it, right? But for years, this county claimed that it complied with FHA, but it deliberately uh, concentrated affordable housing in a small number of predominantly black and Latino communities. Again, the game plan that Thurgood Marshall played. 
but it distributed millions in HUD grants to overwhelmingly white suburbs that refused to allow affordable housing. So what is even worse about this is that it is it is it was sustaining segregation. It was not doing anything to uh, to 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 address it or correct it. And it was taking the money that should have should have built uh, affordable housing in white communities and they distributed to, to the white suburbs that refused to allow affordable housing. So then when they expand this study beyond just this county in New York, they found that a, that a third of counties couldn't, uh, were in the same segment where they couldn't uh, uh, produce evidence that they had ever evaluated for segregation and all of these other things, right? Um, uh, and so here we get to the Trump administration under HUD secretary uh, Ben Carson, right? And don't be distracted that he's black, by the way. <laughs> uh, again, we're talking about impact. And so uh, actually, Ben Carson actually didn't even like the Obama rule because when it was issued, he said, this is just a government engineered attempt to legislate racial equality. Well, duh, Ben. There, for years, there have been government-engineered attempts to legislate racial inequality. So why are you mad that there's a government-engineered attempt to legislate racial equality, right? So in January 2018, Ben Carson gets in, and he puts a pause. First, he just says, well, we're, we're just going to pause. Uh, we're going to pause this. Uh, we're going to pause this rule in the same way that Jeff Sessions tried to re withdraw from consent decrees after Loretta Lynch's um, uh, uh, rulings and findings of uh, blatant discrimination among uh, the Baltimore and San Francisco Police Department. You can hear about that in the uh, episode Fragility Has Consequences. Um, and so Ben Carson first comes in and says, oh, well, let's just put a pause on it, right? Um, and so then uh, after they've examined what they've had, they found that a third of the reports um, were found to be having civil rights violations, right? Um, and then also what, what Ben Carson does is that he removes the anti-discrimination wording from the HUD website, Housing and Urban Development website, because before it says, you know, we entitle that people are, are you know, or have a right to fair housing free from discrimination. He removes free from discrimination and says that they must be self-sufficient. All this while his while he's on his campaign for self-sufficiency, he's using taxpayer money to buy furniture for his house. That's a whole nother thing, right? Anyways, so he, 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 he outright says in the beginning, he doesn't like it because it's a government-engineered attempt to legislate racial equality, right? And again, you'll see this. We don't like the big federal government. We want the local government because left to their own devices, this is the type of stuff that they do. So a third of the reports had civil rights violations, pretty much. So instead of Ben Carson saying, oh, wow, I'm glad this is coming to light. He effectively shuts down this housing rule by withdrawing the assessment tool portion, saying that, oh, you guys don't have to assess anything, you know, I'm, you know. Don't don't worry about trying to find trying to find a problem, right? Uh, uh, you know, close your eyes and it, it, you know, essentially close your eyes and it won't be a problem anymore, right? And you can still get money even though your uh, uh, 
endorsing segregation. By the way, this episode is going to go a little, uh, go, go, go a little bit longer, so think of it as a two-for-one. Anyways, uh, he says, and here's why he shuts it down. He says, one, it's difficult to use. Now, this person did brain surgery to separate conjoined twins that were joined by the head, but apparently his gifted hands and his gifted mind can't figure out how to use an assessment tool. And here's another reason he gives, which is probably closer to the reason why he shut it down. It frequently produced unacceptable assessments. So again, we talk about truth tellers, guys. We talk about <clears throat> true, revela true revolution challenges those in power to change how they participate with the power structure. And truth tellers, a true truth teller is supposed to bring you from fantasy to reality. Now here, this assessment is a truth telling mechanism that brings into the reality that a third of the counties in the nation are not accounting for housing and urban development and fair housing and violation to the fair housing act. So instead of saying, man, a third of these plans fail civil rights. Let's keep the rule in place. He says, oh, you guys don't have to check it. Right. And so now he's being sued by uh, fair housing advocates uh, and the lawsuit states decades of experience. Again, truth telling decades of experience have shown that left to their own devices Local jurisdictions will simply pocket federal funds and do little to further fair housing objectives. Judicial intervention is necessary to vindicate the rule of law and to bring fair housing to communities that have been deprived of it for too long. And so essentially, he found that more counties that were operating like Westchester County, where they would they couldn't produce evidence that they were actually evaluating and seeing if 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 racial segregation was actually was was growing or or decreasing in this but they would pocket the money and so now they're being sued and saying that no you have to check this but ben carson says oh they're this is just meddling and, and telling local people what to do yes it's holding people accountable and why are we okay and so again you say it's a government engineered attempt to legislate racial equality where was the resistance when people were having government engineered attempts to legislate racial inequality? That's what the Fair Housing Act <laughs> was saying. There's government engineered attempts to legislate racial inequality. The answer to that, Ben Carson, is not to close your eyes and say, oh, it must be the tool. It must be it must be this it must be that. But to say, again, falling in love with the truth that incriminates us and saying, well, then we must protect and, and actually uh, do something about these communities. And so it comes down to the fact of, do you want true community or not? Do you want the beloved community? Do you want the kingdom of God? Uh, or do you want sustained to sustain the racial caste system in America? And so if you have this philosophy of NIMBY and not in my backyard and this unsustained fear, and again, the, the, if, you're, if you are withholding, uh, applying that, and if you're supporting this administration, you are literally applying to all three tenets, uh, sorry, uh, conforming to all three tenets of segregation that we lined up. 
buying into the criminalized presence of black bodies, right? Where not only are gang members animals, but all these illegal immigrants are just animals, right? Right? Uh, partnering with law enforcement to say, remove the non-white bodies from my vicinity, right? And using uh, supporting law enforcement to fight, despite the fact of the reports that have shown the abuse towards uh, non-white people, right? Uh, partnering and supporting elected officials to develop policy that keeps people out. At this point, if you are someone who is pro-community, pro the beloved community, pro the principles of Jesus and the kingdom of God, you cannot support this administration while they are doing things like this. Donald Trump is a distraction, right? If you're so busy keeping up which porn star did he cheat on his wife with this week, <laughs> you will miss the things that Ben Carson is doing. You will miss Betsy DeVos of education, the secretary of education saying, I don't even visit underperforming schools. Right? You will miss uh, the, the CIA director who had, who is wanted for war crimes in several countries for the torture that she uh, condoned. Right? Uh, you will miss these things because they rely, they lie outside of your fence outside of your backyard and you want to fence everything in and you're blinded to the evil you're endorsing that resides within your fence and you're blind to the to the suffering and also the greatness of the people that lie outside your fence so you have to decide in your heart is dr king's dream my dream or is it my nightmare because I still subscribe to the thinking that is uh, sustained and condoned and created by the racial caste system in America. So we can laugh at, you know, barbecue Betty and make memes and all these other things. But it is that philosophy right there that is creating the hindrances and supporting those who create the hindrances because it comes down to the fact of, am I really, for, it's not for white people, that am I really terrified? Am I really disappointed that we have not come further than we should in racial relations? Or am I perfectly comfortable with it? Dr. King uh, talked about that after, you know, Negro progress is, is, is fear and then the thing that, oh, Negroes have come far enough. We talk about the stages of racism on this podcast where we talk about there's, there's stage one, you know, like the terminal that's like, oh, I don't want them in anywhere in the room with me. And then there's the uh, uh, stage two that says, oh, they can be in the room with me as long as they're subordinate to me. And then there's room three where it's like, oh, I can be equal. They can be equal to me, but the, I don't want to report to them. And then there's the four where it's like, I'll report to them. I'll do everything else, but I don't want them to be in my community and my family. I don't want them to be community. And so it's not enough to be non-racist it's not even enough to be anti-racist you have to be pro-community and nimby and not in my backyard not in my school not in my friend group not in my church not in my whatever fill in the blank that is a direct the direct antithesis and the greatest hindrance to 
true uh, unity and community that America needs to confront, dismantle its past, and to build a new future. So, I know this one's been a longer episode, but, you know, I've been gone for a while, so, you know, I had it all up in me. <laughs> Anyways, this has been episode number nine, NIMBY or Segregation, How Dr. King's Dream is Still America's Nightmare. Now, um, uh, if this has been um, a blessing to you all, again, rate and subscribe. Uh, subscribe on iTunes. Uh, rate and leave a comment. And right now, I'm going to show some appreciation to those who have given me uh, ratings and written reviews. So I have two reviews, uh, both of them five stars. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and read these, right? In a segment we'll call appreciation. Bah, bah. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. <laughs> All right, customer reviews. Uh, Five A.A. Robertson gives me five stars and says, The podcast I've been looking for. This podcast provides current information from an educated perspective with a creative approach. I love it. Thank you, A.A. Uh, a. Robertson. Um, I appreciate that. Thank you for listening. Um, I believe this is a brother actually sent me some money via Venmo because he really was feeling the podcast. So we also accept that to all are welcome. Uh, and so now we have a review by RMS5H, gives me five stars and says, continues to challenge the consciousness of America. Says, Charlie Ray brings heart when he speaks truth to current day events. He challenges the consciousness of America and encourage us, encourages us to do better, baby. This is a thought-provoking podcast, and I encourage you to listen well, even when it is hard to hear. Shout out to you, RMS58. Sound like you a true teller out in these streets. I appreciate it. So that has been um, uh, the reviews that I have. If y'all like, man, it's only two? We'll go ahead and make it three, baby. Uh, so I've been on here long enough. Um, but... I want you guys to meditate on that, on the three tenets of segregation. If you guys still subscribe to that, you are working against the beloved community we are seeking to build. All right. I love y'all. Um, so, again, if you have, uh, if you want to email me, um, you can do it at a difference in thought at gmail.com. On Twitter, it's at twitter.com slash a diff in thought. Go ahead and follow me there. Um, and continue to support rate subscribe thank you everybody for um your patience um as i'm trying to set up some things in the real world to create a more just society but this has been episode number nine nimby or segregation how dr king's dream is still america's nightmare i am your host charlie ray thank you for listening i love you i love you that's why i'm here peace